And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Uh, Michael Leibowitz will be joining me live in studio today. Usually he's here on Thursday, but he's actually in town this week. So he's going to be joining me live this morning. We'll talk about the upcoming Fed meeting just right around the corner, May the 5th. Um, the Fed will be announcing their next rate hike. And what does that mean potentially for here? Is it going to be the last one? or still more to come. We'll get to that this morning. Also, another big news this morning, President Joe Biden has officially announced his re-election bid for 2024. This is going to be interesting. The Democrats have said there will be no debates whatsoever. So this is, so, you know, this is going to be quite interesting on trying to, to run for election. Normally you have debates to you know, allow candidates to go head to head with each other. We'll see how this works out with no debates whatsoever, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, Outside of that, the markets yesterday, of course, still absorbing earnings between now and May the 5th. Now, remember, May the 5th, Fed meeting right around the corner. Between today and May the 5th, 87% of the S&P 500 will have reported earnings by the time we get to the point to where the Fed hikes rates. And it's really been a mixed bag so far. This this morning, futures are pointing a little bit lower. Uh, Companies are, you know, kind of hitting the line, I guess you'd say, with earnings estimates. Of course, those have been drastically lowered since May of last year. We went from about $223 a share down to $172. So a big decline in estimates. Companies just kind of a mixed bag of meeting or missing estimates. This morning, good example, McDonald's uh, beat estimates and revenues. Verizon's missed. So, um, you know, kind of just a question of which company it is and kind of what outlook is. Futures are pointing down a little bit lower this morning. But again, by the time we get to the Fed meeting, we'll have a really good handle on really kind of what the earnings look like for the S&P 500. And most importantly, and this is the thing to watch, and I actually put a chart of this out on Twitter this morning. The one thing that we've been talking about is what, you know, we already knew that earnings would be fairly weak for these S&P 500 companies for the last quarter, but what were they gonna be saying about earnings and revenue over the next quarter or the quarter after that? That's actually been rising. So uh, normally when you see a trough in earnings expectations, that's usually coincidence with the trough of the recession. But it's interesting this time, we haven't officially had a recession, although we've had just everything that goes along with the recession, bank crises, market declines, all those type of things. Um, everything's kind of responded to a normal economic recession. We just haven't officially declared one as of yet, but now earnings are beginning to improve. And now if companies begin to have better earnings going forward, well, that's going to be kind of an interesting situation uh, considering where we are and the Fed's still hiking rates. Of course, uh, inflation continues to be the big issue at hand, but inflation rates are falling. We're seeing prices paid come down in manufacturing indexes. We're seeing slower consumer spending. Credit card debt on the rise. Oh, by the way, along with credit card delinquencies 
also on the rise because wages are falling. So again, you have a lot of these kind of coincident indicators that are all impacting the markets right now. Markets really kind of di trying to digest this, right? What does the outlook look like for earnings, for revenue growth, for the economy? That's what's going to drive prices. And as we've been talking about here over the last few days, markets really kind of just stuck here in midair. We had this very nice rally back in the uh, middle of March. We wrote an article talking about 4,200 on the rally. We talked about this yesterday. We got to 4,168. Didn't quite get to 4,200, but we were close. And really, ever since then, the market's just kind of trading sideways here. We're not really making any advances or not really declining. Yesterday, markets kind of sold off early in the morning, rallied back to break even. And that's really been a lot of the action here over the last week. Markets aren't really gaining much ground, but they're not losing any ground either. We're just kind of stuck. And this is kind of a function of where we are at the moment. The market's trying to decide which, you know, what happens next. That's really where we are. Between now and May the 5th, the market's going to have to make this decision. Um, the MACD buy signal that we had talked about back in mid-March, the reason that we increased our equity exposure back then, is now actually extremely close. And if this weakness that we have kind of priced into the futures this morning remains for the day, we will likely trigger that sell signal today. That should suggest, I'll spit that out, that should suggest lower prices because typically what you're talking about here is now weakness in the overall market. Breath has been weak, volume has been tepid. So again, a decline here won't be surprising and particularly as we get into the summer, which tends to be weaker months anyway. In fact, that's our article that's out on the website today, our Tuesday take, talking about, well, do you sell April instead of May this year uh, and kind of leave early? That's what these indicators are suggesting is that maybe we could see some weakness over the course of the next month or so. And that would really not be surprising. We've had a very strong buying stampede here. When you have these buying stampedes, they typically get followed by yeah, you guessed it, a selling stampede, which just like we'd seen back in the beginning of this year, January to February, very strong buying stampede. We had a selling stampede to follow that. Of course, markets declined, got oversold, next rally. That's just the way markets work over time. Wouldn't really be expecting to see anything different here. So as we talked about last week, we took a little bit of, uh, uh, of our trading index positions off our portfolio, just raised a little bit of cash here, particularly as we go into summer, want to be a little bit more cautious. And then this will give us time to kind of figure out what's happening with the Fed, what are earnings doing, kind of where the market looks like it wants to head to next. Again, lots of headlines, extremely bearish. Lots of very bearish headlines out there. Uh, bullish sentiment is, is very low. There's a lot of negative sentiment in the overall market. So again, lots of expectation of another big leg down in this, in this market, kind of this bear market decline that everybody's been expecting, but markets have been really fighting against that trend. Really ever since last year, markets continue to try to stay up and, and, and kind of moving higher. And ever since we saw these lows back in really October, the market has just been kind of this trending higher. And it's just been this, this kind of grind higher. It's not been a real accelerated move, but it's been a grind higher here as markets continue to just try to work off some of that sell-off that we had early last year. Again, as we talked about in this weekend's newsletter, these rolling recessions, these rolling events, right? We had bank, you know, the Russia war, Ukraine, then we had the Fed tightening. And markets have taken each one of those, have declined, then bottomed, and then expectations began to improve 
and prices began to improve on expectation, well, the Fed's going to pivot, or this is going to happen, or that's going to happen. And so we've continued to kind of work through this bad news, pricing in the bad news, acknowledging that bad news, pricing in what expectations were next. And of course, markets have continued to really, since October uh, in particular, have continued to improve off that low that we saw last October. Of course, back in that, that October low, we'd written some articles talking about the extremely bearish sentiment that existed at that point. Last October, remember, everybody was assuming that we were going to have a very bad recession and that stocks could only go one way and that was down. And historically, when you get that type of negative positioning really across the board, you have very high cash levels, very low equity exposure, extremely bearish sentiment. As we wrote back then, that is typically the making of the bottom of the market. And, and since then, that has so far been that case. But again, that rally from those lows has not been accelerated. It's not been a very fast advance. It's been a grind higher. So again, there is certainly risk here that as we get to the summer months, we are going to see some weaker economic data. We're already seeing that now. But you know, we could see another leg lower, but that's likely going to be confined somewhere to the bottom of these recent ranges, not this big accelerated decline that a lot of people are talking about in the media. So anyway, we've got a lot of stuff to get into this morning with Michael Leibowitz, the Fed. Coming up May the 5th, are they going to hike again, not hike again? Is the pivot finally here? We'll talk about that and more this morning right here on The Real Investment Show. Be sure you go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest blog post is out on the website this morning talking about should you sell in April? That's on the website this morning. We'll be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Retirement's not what it used to be. And knowing how health insurance works after you leave your job is vital. Our next Lunch and Learn will tackle transitioning to Medicare. Thursday, May 11th with Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso. How will Medicare work with the insurance you already have? What are the deadlines you need to know for signing up for Medicare? Register now for our Transitioning to Medicare Lunch and learn with Ratliff and Rosso at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com The Real Investment Show the show this morning it is uh tuesday as we get this week underway getting ready to wrap up the month of april already it's amazing how fast this month is going by already paid your taxes apparently tax re uh, refunds are getting delayed so maybe a while before you get your tax refund back and it's likely going to be smaller according to uh, recent statistics than most people expect so again that is the uh, kind of the issue to pay attention to um Outside of this, a couple of other things that are going on. As I said, uh, Michael Leibowitz in town today, and we're going to be talking a little bit about, normally we talk about the Fed and what's going on on Thursdays. So, But uh, since he's in town, we're just going to do it today instead. Um, so um, coming up on May the 5th is the next Fed meeting. And this is the big issue here, right? So you know everybody's wondering, right, is the Fed going to hike rates 25 basis points? Are they going to pause? 
Are they going to start cutting rates soon? What's the Fed outlook on the economy? I mean, this is this is really what the markets are hanging on at the moment between earnings and the Fed. This is this is where the markets are just kind of trying to get their next cues from. And of course, right now, Fed funds futures, um, as of a couple of days ago when I checked, were pricing in almost certainty that the Fed was going to hike another 25 basis points. That hasn't changed my, much, Ed, has it, Mike? I think what's interesting is we're waiting on the earnings. We're waiting on the Fed, earnings, Fed. But it's really the economy, and the economy is showing, the economy is showing signs of stability. It's not dropping off a cliff. It's not surging. It, it's just going. And a lot of people suspect, including the Fed, they called for a mild recession, that the economy is going to decline. Well, until unemployment starts rising, until people start getting laid off, none of that is going to happen. And we kind of just sit here in this flat, flat economic territory. So I think what becomes important, it's not even necessarily the Fed or earnings, even though they're both very important, but it's watching the employment data. And the big data comes out the first Friday of every month. That's the BLS report. And that's nice, but it, it, but it lags. So, so what we can do to kind of gauge employment in between the reports and, and get more of a leading indicator is to look at things like jobless claims, continuing jobless claims. So those are people that had already filed for jobless claims in prior weeks, but they still can't find a job. So they're, getting, they're continuing to get claims payments. Those are both good gauges, and both have upticked. Uh, on a percentage-wise, they've upticked, they've upticked quite significantly, but they're still at very low levels. So they're not signaling a recession, but the trend is certainly heading in that direction, you could say. And then we look at a wide variety of manufacturing surveys, service industry surveys, to see what they're saying about employment, about whether they're looking for people, whether laying off people, what their plans are. And, you know, we can use things like JOLTS and ADP and other sources to try to try to figure out what the trend is in employment. Because I think if you if you get the trend in employment right for the next six, nine, 12 months, you're going to get the Fed right. You're going to get the markets right. You're going to get a lot right. But it's quite possible that employment just lingers. You know, maybe it's slowly trends. Unemployment slowly trends higher, but it doesn't really clue us in as to whether or not we're going to have a recession till later this year. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of an interesting, you know, kind of thing when you talk about, you know, continuing claims because again as you noted, you know, those are people that are not getting reemployed. So a continuing claim, you file your initial claim and then when you come back and get your claim the next week, now you're a continuing claim. And and, and, like, and to Mike's point, on a percentage basis, they've increased rather sharply here over the course of the last several months. But we're now back to a level, even though those, lame, those claims remain pretty low, they've risen enough now that they're at a level that is normally, that rise is normally at a, consi a level consistent with onsets of recessions. But again, as we've talked about before, um, you know, it's interesting because we've had these kind of continued conversations, leading economic indicators, clearly in recessionary territory. Mm -hmm. Um, those are that's pretty much a, a prime indicator if you're going to have recession inverted yield curves are at levels that have always been coincident with recessions but yet we haven't dated one yet and that that's the, this is the this is the big cue right 
we haven't dated the recession. The National Bureau of Economic Research is the company that, or the organization that dates the start and beginning of a recession. They're always late. But, you know, economic data in terms of, you know, you take a look at GDP now as an example that what's the Atlanta Federal Reserve, you know, they're predicting fairly decent economic growth for Q1. We had two quarters of negative growth last year in the first half of the year, but that wasn't deemed a recession, at least not yet, right? So, well, and you know why. Right. Because they use employment. Right. And and so it's kind of interesting that we've got so many indicators that are now pointing, that say that we either are in a recession or should be in a recession, yet there's a lot of other anecdotal evidence, markets being one of them, earnings improving being another one, that maybe that's already behind us. It's, it's, it's a very interesting situation we're in right now. Well, you know, part of the problem is what we went through with COVID, where or in the aftermath of the initial COVID hit, where many companies, small and big, couldn't hire employees. They couldn't get enough employees. And I think we're still to some degree in that, that post-COVID shock period where a lot of employers are not willing to let go of employees, even if they're not good employees, even if they're costing money versus helping make the company money. And I just think it's going to take time. This, you know, this has been three years now of COVID, and we're still seeing some of the psychological, sociological impacts, financial impacts, the liquidity impacts are still rippling through the economy, rippling through the markets. And I think employment's another one that, that, that and you know, we've talked about my brother, he does not want to get rid of employees. He is scared that he will not be able to hire them if the economy starts doing better, if his sales start going up. So, uh, you know, I, I think we're dealing with numbers, but we're also dealing with a somewhat unique instance as well. Uh, and that's and, and that's kind of, you know, going to make it challenging for the investing environment that we're in. And I thought this was interesting. Um, you know, if you if you take a look at some of the recent action in the market, it, it's been interesting because, you know, earnings haven't been terrible, right? So if we look at earnings, I was talking about this this morning, right? So two, two, two big companies, you have McDonald's on one hand and Verizon on the other. Now, kind of think about these two companies for a second. Everybody that wants a cell phone or internet service or whatever, right? You just want to talk to somebody, you're going to be using one of the big companies at probably at some point. So Verizon, AT&T, et cetera. And yeah, I know there's a lot of other companies like Cricket that are out there, but they use Cricket didn't go out and build their own cell towers. They're using other people's cell towers who collect fees from that. Generally, those wind up either in Verizon's hands or AT&T hands or Sprint Mobile, right? One of the three. But the interesting thing is, is that so you think about that, right? What are people going to cut out when you're going into a recession? Are they going to cut their phone out? Or are they going to cut eating out at McDonald's? Probably cut eating out at McDonald's, you would think. And, and look, eating at McDonald's is not cheap anymore. No, no. <laughs> Still not that good a food, but it's not cheap anymore either. It's, so it's not cheap food. And we'll talk about Whataburger later. Um, but their phone, they're going to hang on to that. And I thought it was interesting in today's earnings announcements, McDonald's beat earnings and revenue, Verizon missed. And, and it, it almost you almost kind of just expect that it would be the other way around. It wasn't. So, but remember, as we said, we've already lowered these earnings expectations so much since June of last year that companies are barely beating these numbers. And so, again, if we go back to, to last year and say, well, what were earnings estimates for McDonald's last June? 
they were dramatically higher. McDonald's missed hugely their revenues and earnings numbers based on initial expectations. Verizon, disaster relative to initial expectations. But again, just because we've lowered them so much, these companies are barely missing earnings and revenues or barely beating them earnings and revenues over those much lower dramatic, dramatically lowered estimates. And so that doesn't really tell you a whole lot about where we are in the economy because you're beating these very much lowered estimates. But it's interesting because from that standpoint, though, markets are trying to price in, okay, is this the worst that we've done? And markets really, as we said, not going anywhere over the last couple of weeks. Because it's kind of really, well, actually it's been about three weeks. We really haven't gone anywhere. Markets are kind of stuck here. And earnings, according to the beats so far, aren't terrible. So what does that mean for markets going from here? And, and again, if earnings estimates start to improve from here, which is what S&P is expecting, then markets are going to have to start pricing in improving earnings on this backdrop of weaker economic data. It's a very confusing situation. Indeed, indeed. So, you know, and I think what the markets are voicing is the same consternation. They're waiting. How many days have we had where the market is, you know, at its most up or down, the S&P is up or down 10 or 15 points and closes flat. It, it'll open down today. It's going to open down about 20 points and it'll probably close within a couple pennies of flat of zero, <laughs> right? That, and and there have been other days where it's up 20 and it ends up a flat. couple pennies of flat. <laughs> so what does that tell you? To me, that tells me that investors, that investors are comfortable. The bulls mm. and the bears are equally motivated to, to buy and sell. And they kind of found a nice, good ground, level ground here. No one is more empowered, more motivated to sell than the other. And we're just going to spin our wheels. And the question is, how long are we going to spin our wheels? And again, I think it comes, you know, assuming the bank, it's banking crisis doesn't come up, assuming, uh, you know, something doesn't happen with Russia, mm -hmm. with China. There, there's, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, things that Outlier can happen. Events. Yeah, yeah, well, that, and that's the thing. We'll talk, and let's talk about that when we come back for the break. But um, actually, a very interesting comment to that. I actually came out of J.P. Morgan this morning um, on that front about what you're just talking about, defending markets. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break as well. I'm Real Science Roberts. Michael Lee, what's joining me this morning? We'll be right back. Don't go away. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So just for the break, Mike and I just uh, kind of touching on this, you know, kind of interesting market that we've been in because despite one kind of piece of bad news after another, markets really just kind of trading flat, uh, really have been kind of trading flat since March of last year, other than one little brief, you know, drawdown in, in October of last year, markets about where they were a year ago. So, you know, despite all of the angst, news, headlines, bad news, etc., markets really holding up fairly well here. 
and I thought it was interesting here over the last, as, as Mike was talking about, just for the break, it, it's been kind of interesting the last few days because the market would end up, you know, might open up 20 points and then in flat, might open down 20 points within, within just a few pennies of being flat for the day. And uh, JP Morgan had an interesting statement on that point. The tone is changing into something a little more constructive within the markets. Holders are defending underperforming stocks early, and short sellers are slow, passive in pace. It could be that we're now through. Uh, it could be now that we're through 20% of the S&P 500 earnings, and it's not terrible. That equities remain largely underowned, although off recent levels, and the fear that the consumer base is weakening, a main driver of a recession, appears to be waning. On the macro side, the number of reasons to be bearish on equities remains significantly longer than those to be bullish, but some of those negatives are beginning to trend into more neutral, positive territory. So I thought that was kind of an interesting comment um, because that's also kind of what the markets have, have been telling us is that, you know, the worst, you know, there's still you know, a lot of indicators. And again, you know, lots of bullish headlines every day. And I'm not arguing these points. Inverted yield curves, leading economic indicators, certainly lot, long list, as he says, a long list of reasons to be bearish. But there's other indicators that are starting to say maybe the worst of that's behind us. And again, the one thing to remember, markets are about sentiment more than data and markets price in things. In other words, if you take the global pool of investors and that's all the market is, is a living, breathing organism and it's buyers and sellers that are all in this marketplace. And if markets are aware of a situation, then they begin looking through that to, well, what happens next? What comes after that? And then if there's a, an improvement on the other side of whatever that indicator is, and if we start seeing an improvement in the environment that will eventually feed into whatever indicator that is, that's going to give buyers a reason to step up and buy early because they want to try to buy the bottom, right? Everybody wants to try to buy low and sell high. We try to do that. Most people fail miserably even we wind up buying high and selling low. But that's the way markets should work. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, is, is the market already looking through whatever this is? And as we begin to see improvement in some of these other indicators, do we need to be paying more attention to those waiting for some of these other lagging indicators to catch up? That's going to be the question. And we still have the Fed, right? right? There's still this lag effect that we used to talk about all the time. We haven't talked about it as much. Right. The lag effect is still a real thing. And a lot of those rate cuts from last year, not even talking about what they've done this year, still have yet to fully impact the economy. So as that, that will also work itself through. But Lance, you've talked about these rolling recessions. Yeah. It's quite possible that we're doing some healing while, you know, as opposed to everything hitting all at once, parts of the economy are healing while other parts are growing, other parts mm -hmm. are shrinking. And net net, some company may lay off, you know, we've seen in the tech sector, mm -hmm. Microsoft, Apple, they've been laying off employees, but we've seen the, you know, on, in aggregate, those employees get picked up elsewhere. So the, 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 the macroeconomic effect has been minimal. Right. Well, and also to remember, particularly in the tech sector, they were on a wild hiring spree mm -hmm. in 2020, 2021. And so a lot of their layoffs are just getting them back to their normal employment levels, right? right. They're not drastically cutting headcount. They're just kind of getting back down to where they should be anyway. Right. But let me, let, let's flip the script here because there's just a couple other big important points that 
uh, that will ultimately affect the markets, obviously. Right. And, and, and one of those is this debt ceiling debate. And uh, again, as we start pushing, there's what's called the X date. This is the the big thing everybody's paying attention to, right? I was like, the moment that the that the government runs out of money and we're gonna default on our debt and it's gonna be terrible. And, and, and lately there's been this divergence between the yield on a one month T-bill and a three month T-bill. And this has gotten a lot of people running around on, on you know, financial media saying, oh, that's clear sign that something's just about to break and everything's about to go to hell in a handbasket, you better own gold. Generally, those are people trying to sell you gold. But, you know, that's, you know, this has kind of been one of those big, you know, kind of moments that somebody's tagged onto and is and, and is trying to extrapolate this divergence between yields into something that maybe, maybe it's an issue, but maybe it's not. And, and this is this is the problem with these things and how and, and what leads us into making bad financial decisions ultimately with our money is extrapolating a anomaly into something that it may or may not be. And part of this has to do with the the X date and how the how the government's going to react and the default on the Treasury. So let, I want to go through a couple of these issues because there's a lot of false information that's kind of running around. And it's not that, a, you know, could we default on our debt? Yes, it's entirely possible. We have defaulted on our debt before, a couple of times. We did it back in the, I think, the 1920s, and we did it in the 70s. And in the 70s, there was a technical glitch with the Treasury Department, and payments went out, I think, three to five days late than they should have been. So technically, yes, we defaulted on our debt because we did not make our interest payment. When you do not make the interest payment on your debt, that is a default. You cure that default by making the interest payment on your debt. There is a very big difference between defaulting on an interest payment and defaulting on your debt. If you don't make your principal payment to the bank, you just say, hey, you know what, bank, I borrowed a million dollars from you and I'm not paying you back. <laughs> you know? uh, that's the bank's problem at a million dollars, by the way. Um, you but, do the rest of the joke. <laughs> exactly. You know the rest of the joke. Um, but that's a default, right? So now the lender is out their money. That is a, that is a full default, and that's a bad thing. We're not talking about a default of not paying our principal payments on our debt. We're talking about the potential we might miss an interest payment by a few days because of this X date. And again, this happened back in the 70s. We were late. Yes, we technically defaulted. The world did not end. Oh, and by the way, people bought treasury bonds. Yields fail when we actually defaulted on our debt. People were buying treasury bonds at that point because they knew the interest payment was going to get made even though it was late. That's what we're talking about here, potentially. And I doubt even that happens. But before I get too much further into this, Mike, this, this spread between the one month and the three month T-bill yields, is it a big of a concern as people are trying to make it out to be? No. Again, I, I think for, for the same reasons you're, you're saying. First of all, a default happens when an interest payment isn't made. A default does not happen when a social security payment isn't made, when when the national parks aren't paid, when the post office isn't paid, it's just the interest. And so what, what the markets are, are trying to, to suss out is, is it possible that payments will be late? I don't think anyone in these markets thinks 
the, the treasury is just going to say, oh, we're done. Here are the keys. <laughs> you, Jingle you, mail. Yeah, here's, here's your country. You can have it back now. Right, right. Although uh, there may be a, a, a need for that. Anyway, give but, it back to England. But, but <laughs> if, here's the thing. If they are going to be a couple days late on a payment, which I doubt, but it could yeah. happen, you know, never say never, it affects a very short-term security a lot more than a long-term security. So an investor would, if they are going to default on an interest payment, you'd rather be on a 30-year loan as opposed to a, a really short loan because that constitutes a big portion of the time. Yeah. Uh, so what's going on now is the one-month Treasury bill is trading, and it's whipping around by 20, 30 basis points, you know, 20, 30 basis points, if not more. So I could be dead wrong when I say this. But it was trading around 3.5%. And the three-month Treasury bill is trading close to 5%. So you look at it and you say, well, why would anyone buy a one-month bill when they could buy a three-month bill and earn an extra basically 1.5%? And the answer is no one in their right mind would, and no one is being forced to. This isn't investors that don't really know what they're doing, and they're taking their money out of banks and putting it into one-month bills. Most of them buy money market funds. And when you buy a money market fund, the money market fund is trying to get the best rate possible. And... They, they have other tools. They can buy two-month treasury bills. They can put their money in repo, which we've talked about, they, with the Federal Reserve and earn four and a half, four and three quarters percent. So there are plenty of options. And if the, if the only other option was a three-month, we'd see the three-month yield dropping similar to the mm -hmm. one-month yield. So what this is is that treasuries are used as collateral for investment. So w when hedge funds, when all kinds of institutions use leverage, they have to post collateral. And if something ever happens with that loan, the bank can take that collateral. And from what I hear is going on is that the banks are saying, we want the collateral to be all one month treasury bills or shorter, because we don't want to deal with this debt cap and the implications mm -hmm. of a mispayment and what that may mean for the collateral itself. Because if, the if they do actually miss payments, the markets will probably go haywire for a few days. And that's where they want that good, safe collateral in case something happens. Right. And so again, you know, the, the important thing here is, is not to extrapolate what's going on with the spread between yields as something that is pertaining to a massive debt default, even if we do miss the payment. As soon as the debt ceiling cap is lifted and resolved, and look, everybody's eventually going to vote for the debt ceiling to lift the debt ceiling because nobody wants that on their political record <laughs> that the government defaulted on debt because right. of them right it's it's politically bad so it'll get done but even if we're a little late as soon as it's raised the federal funding all gets put back into place bonds are issued and interest payments are made that's it it's nothing really to worry about be right back after the break don't go away daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com uh, just to finish up on our conversation here on this debt ceiling limit and x date and all this and again there's going to be a vote this coming week 
uh, on the debt ceiling, and I'm sure it's going to fail. Um, and then they'll go back, and everybody will get in their corner, and they'll come up with some compromises, and you know, they'll eventually get it lifted, and everything's going to be fine. And so again, you know, the, the the risk here. There's a couple of things, and when it comes to bond investing in particular, and so I wanted to touch on this because this is my specialty. Um, you know, investors are making. I see a lot of investors making a mistake right now. Um, I see a lot of investors running out to buy one month, three month, you know, one year T bills, two year T bills, because they're like, oh, look, I can lock in four percent on my money for the next three months, six months, nine months, a year, two years, whatever it is. What are you going to do when that matures? Right? Because yields are already falling. And if you think that we're going to have a recession, and if you think the Fed is going to cut rates, yields are going to fall a lot more on the longer end of the curve. And so by the time in the next year, six months or a year or two years out, so great, you've locked in this 4% for the next year or two. That's awesome. But the problem is, is that when that matures, yields on everything are going to be heading towards zero, most likely at that point. And so what are you going to put your money into then? And if you're, if you're hiding in T-bills now because you think that there's a big economic crash coming, you don't want to be trying to move back into equities in the middle of that, right? So, you know, one thing that you have to think about, and this is one thing I think investors, because again, look, we don't talk about bonds a lot. Now, the mainstream media never right. covers bonds or anything else. And most people don't even know how bonds work. They understand stocks as we talk about all day long, but nobody really understands how bonds work. But to me, if I want to be locking in a higher interest rate in my money, I want to buy as much duration. I want to keep that rate for as long as possible, right? right. And... That way, I can always make a decision later that if yields fall towards zero, great. That means the price of my 30-year bond went up. And so now I just sell for the capital appreciation. I make a lot of money. If something goes wrong and yields don't fall for some reason, I've locked in 30 years worth of a you know 3.5% or 3.7% return. Not terrible, right? It's better than a sharp stick in the eye when you're getting basically zero. But go ahead. Let me digress for a little bit. All right. A bond is very simple. A bond is just... It's so complicated. They don't even cover it on television. It's, that's how complicated <laughs> it, it, it is. It's a series of interest payments. I, I, you know, I could take that sticky over there, Lance, and just write you an IOU bond. And it's just a series of numbers that will yep. be paid or won't be paid. A stock is based on a series of cash flows based on their business and the millions of things that affect their business. Revenues go up, revenues go down, the economy goes up, the economy goes down, and all those cash flows move around. A bond is just a set fixed payment. So, you know, if you spend a little time, you'll realize they're not that hard. But to, to your original point, yes. It, it's If you think this economy is going to follow the trend for the last 40 years, which has been slightly lower over time, back below 2%, and, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be at 2% in October, but over the next five years, th there are many reasons that trend is intact. And there are many reasons to think that we will get right back to that trend. And usually you don't just get to the trend. You go into a recession and you kind of work around that trend. So, yeah, you can lock in 5% for a three-month Treasury bill now and sleep really comfortably earning 5%. But you can also lock into something, a 10-year bond or a 30-year bond, at three and a half, three and three quarters percent. And yeah, over the next three months, your opportunity cost was better being a three month bill. 
but you're now locking in a yield that's almost double the growth rate of the nation, which has been almost impossible to do over the last 10, 15 mm -hmm. years. And if inflation gets back to 2%, which we think it will over time, you're earning a real yield. So your purchasing power is increasing by one and a half, one and three quarters percent a year. That's something that has been very, to get any kind of positive real yield has been nearly impossible to do over the last, you know, since the financial crisis. And a spread of that much was even hard before the financial crisis. So uh, look, if you own a 10 or 30 year bond, it's not necessarily pleasant because the price does move up and down and there are some unrealized losses that that can occur. But at the end of the day, you're looking at an economy that's really a one and a half to two percent economy. And that's not Lance and I saying that the Federal Reserve's expectations are forecasting the same thing. If you look at the nation's productivity, if you look at the debt, if you you know, you kind of put in these big picture items and they all point to to growth rates sub two percent. They all point to inflation rates of sub two percent. And you can earn for up to 30 years, almost 2% more than that, you're supposed to jump on that and, yeah. and, and deal with the short-term gyrations in price. So anyway, that's you know, the important thing here, and, 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 and I'm going to have an article coming out on this as, as well. As, and Mike touched on a very important point that is tied right back to this whole debt ceiling debate, which is the trend of growth in the economy has been slower over time, and that's because of the debt and the deficits. Interest rates are a function of economic growth and inflation. So and, and, and on the long end of the curve, now on the short end of the curve, it has a lot to do with just psychology of, of economy and markets and Fed and all that. And Fed controls the short end of the curve. But long duration bonds, 10-year, 20-year, 30-year bonds, that is economic growth and inflation and wages ultimately. And there's a very high correlation between those, those data points over time. And that's simply a function of economic growth. Obviously, if economic growth is slowing, then yields are going to fall because of the ability to repay debt and, and what people will borrow debt for in a slower growth environment. It's just that's just the way it works. So again, you know, to Mike's point, you know, you have to look at the bigger picture of this and not get so swept up into these short-term headlines because you 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 miss a lot of opportunity that you could be penalized for in the not too distant future. So just be careful. If you want to buy bonds, it's great. Just be careful running out just to grab a one-year bond unless you're expecting. Now, one-year bonds are fine or six-month bonds are fine. Three-month bonds are fine. If your anticipation is that in three months or six months, you're then going to move that money into equities because the bear market's going to be behind us and you want to own equities for a higher return. That's okay. You know, so it's all about duration and understanding what, what do you, but you know, just importantly, what happens if you're going to make this move to buy something? What is your next move after that? Investing is a lot like chess. You've got to be thinking ahead. I'm going to do this move now, but my next move is going to be this. And when if this occurs and if this outcome happens, how am I going to respond? You need to be thinking ahead rather than just, oh, my gosh, I think there's something bad happening. I'm going to go jump into something ultra defensive that wind, you know, that could wind up even penalizing you more longer term than you know whatever the event was you were worried about to start with and likewise with the longer term bonds too they don't have to be held for 10 or 30 right. years you can hold them for a year let's say yields go down to two percent you can make 10 15 20 30 percent on the bond and at that point say stocks are significantly lower mm -hmm. use those gains and buy stocks at a deep discount 
So, so it, it's all about the choices that you're making and how much volatility you're willing to take in the short run and these big macro drivers of the economy in the longer run, and they all come together to help you understand what will happen and how to take advantage of it. And from that, you kind of you, you play with your risk tolerance and how much risk you're willing to take. And there are some really good opportunities out there. Right. Uh, just quick, uh, just a quick gear shift here. One of the topics that has been floating around lately is commercial real estate crises, right? And and this is the next shoe to drop is is commercial real estate. Just thought it was interesting this morning. Uh, Sam Zell, who is a billionaire real estate mogul, and he, and he's the guru of real estate. Whenever you you know he's the Warren Buffett of real estate, and you know so when you want to know something about real estate, you talk to Sam Zell. It was interesting that he was doing a speech at the. Uh, uh, New York University Shack Institute of Real Estate, and it's their annual REIT symposium. And somebody he was asked, he, he was like, well, what do you think, you know, this work from home trend, you know, what does that mean for commercial real estate? And is that here to stay? <laughs> he said, um, one of the biggest lies in the world is that people working from home are more productive than people working in the office. He says, you have much more, much less productivity if you're working from home in your pajamas with three little kids running around than you are in an office. I wouldn't want to be an owner of commercial real estate Class B properties right now. Uh, swipe data from Castle Systems shows that uh, office uh, occupancy is about 46%, well below pre-pandemic levels. And he said, there's an enormous difference between a Zoom board meeting and meeting in person. A Zoom board meeting is a meeting where everybody sits around and listens to uh, recitations. In an in-person meeting is where real discussions take place. Um, so his point, though, is is that companies that and a lot of companies that have all this commercial real estate, they're eventually going to this this work from home hybrid, all that will eventually end. It's going to take some time, but that will all move back into commercial real estate spaces. So again, and that ties to employment. Yeah. Once the unemployment rate starts rising, people are going to be, I got to get back in the office. These yeah. guys need to know who I am. <laughs> exactly. It's super easy to get fired over Zoom, by the way. <laughs> right, right. And it's also easier to get promoted and to get raises when you actually yeah. are in the office and show your face. And um, yeah, are there. I mean, you know, if you're if you're the owner of a company, who, who are you going to keep around? The guy that's showing up in the office every day right. and, and being present and not right. just, you know. And you know about on. his family and his financial situation exactly. versus some face on a Zoom screen. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, this will all change as always, but it's always interesting. Sam Zell always has very blunt to the point comments. And that's why I'm here today to save my spot on the Thursday show. Exactly. <laughs> all right. That wraps up the show for today. Uh, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Sell in April just because it's May and that's on the website now. And we kind of go through the reasons why we were taking profits recently. Also, by the way, sell in May doesn't mean sell everything and go away. It just means you might want to reduce your risk a little bit for the summer. Um, lots of stuff ahead of us. Of course, that's on the website now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, of course, for the Wednesday edition. Danny Ratliff will join me in the morning. Have a great day. We'll see you then.